0: Welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me on this fine evening, as always, David Luzader, how are you?
1: Oh, man. I am doing great. That's all I'm going to say because I want to leave a lot of time for movie discussion.
0: Yeah, this movie. Oh, my God. We have one of the longest show discussion dockets I think we've ever had. It's
1: so long.
0: And most of it's just fanboying. But that's okay. <laughs> uh, the person who brought this movie to us, Nicole Davis, how are you?
2: Yeah, you remember that part where they did that thing? Wasn't that cool? It
0: was so cool. <laughs> I remember oh all the parts. all the parts. Oh, my, God. Parts. <laughs> oh my God. Well, <laughs> uh, so every single time we do future classics, this means that one of our hosts has the opportunity to pick a film that's come out in the last decade that they deem will be a future classic of cinema. And you can put a qualifier on that if you want to say it's a future cult classic or what have you? I think Nicole is just going to say this is a classic film in general. It was her pick, and it was actually her last opportunity to pick it. But before yeah. we unveil the film, and I mean, the listener, you have podcast you, titles. you haven't
1: read it yet, off
0: of the <laughs> title. Yes, <laughs> if you haven't read it while downloading this show. But before we introduce it, I do want to introduce next week's movie if you'd like to follow along. Um, Next week is Around the World. That means one of the hosts has the opportunity to pick an international film. It is my pick this time, and I chose 2010's Bollywood film, Gay Ray Obama. Uh, as of this recording, you can check it out on Amazon Video. You can rent it there. It also looks like it's available on several subscription services. It used to be hard to find for a little bit, but it doesn't seem like that anymore, so you should be able to find it, and of course, I highly recommend it. I think it's a pretty nice little movie. Nicole? Yes. Why is The Dark Knight a future classic?
2: Well, first of all, I just want to say I'm really surprised that neither of you guys picked it. I, I was, was waiting to... and waiting. And every time you guys had a future classic pick, I'm like,
1: this is going to be the week. They're going to go Dark Knight. Well, no. I was going to, but time <laughs> ran out.
2: <laughs> well, see, that's why you have to look up the years that your the stuff on your list comes out well, so that you know which ones are going to expire. Uh-huh. So yeah, basically it came down to this week. This was my last pick, and uh the last I hadn't seen The Wrestler. I didn't think Iron Man was quite good enough.
0: Mm. Uh
2: and I think the Dark Knight is at minimum an incredibly technically well made film. Um it should be like a master class in actual practical stunt work and practical filmmaking. Um, plus it's this, you know, it's this involving set of characters you don't i don't I don't think people while watching it really think of it as this is a character from the comics. This is a comic book movie because it's just not. Uh, <laughs> it does it feels uh, I want it's it crazy, I'm trying to
0: realistic. F- it is. In it the- is. It's
2: it's very grounded in reality. Even though it's quite it's an exaggerated reality, it's still kind of grounded. In it people act um you know th- they relate to each other interpersonally in a recognizable manner which is not always what happens in the exaggerated world of comics and I don't at all want to say that you know comic book movies are lesser I grew up on comics I grew up in the, the Marvel girl I grew up in the Chris Claremont writing the X-Men era which was a tremendous era for that series um, still possibly the last time X I, get X-Men very...
1: was I don't <laughs>
2: I got very deep into, you know, all the X-Men and, and related mm. titles back then. And so I was, I, I do not disparage comic books in the slightest. Um, but this one was definitely, I think it's, it works because in ground to get in reality and using the character who is, When it comes down to it, a regular guy who just happens to be extremely rich, um, it really adds a level of it's easier to project yourself into it. It's easier to feel involved in it, I think. So, anyway, that's
0: a uh, yes, very the, long the and The Relatability of Bruce Wayne and Batman. Oh uh, shush! <laughs> no, no, I, I can't. But in seriousness,
2: he doesn't have any superpowers. No, other no you're than right. Being wealthy and smart,
0: <laughs> extremely but I think smart. There's, there's an interesting well piece about this, which is like uh, in 2008, we had the revitalization of superhero movies kind of the next generation of them in a way with Iron Man and the Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. And both of them were darker and grittier than anything before them, where the bad guys felt more real because they were terrorists, right? Like the Joker (laughs) is a terrorist in this movie above all else. And you could argue he always has been, but in previous theatrical portrayals, it was a very flamboyant terrorist, (laughs) And this one was a little bit grittier and creepier and felt like it could happen.
1: Uh, I just wanted to take a second to actually kind of talk about superhero films uh, leading up to this movie, because I think there there is a lot to be said about it. Uh, frankly, superhero films were not taken extremely seriously through a lot of the 80s and the 90s. I mean, look, people have a love for 1989's Batman. Look, that film sucks. I'm just gonna say it. Like that film is not very wow. good. I, Shots fired. Uh, the, the Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker is uh, is weak. It's not good. His I, I don't know.
0: Get all these wonderful toys.
1: I don't know what he's doing in that movie, but I don't care. I don't want it. Uh, you had <laughs> just some some very bad stuff, but then you had in uh, I think it's about it was around like what 2001 the original X Men movie came out. Uh and I will I will say that it's a, it's it's still a pretty decently good movie, uh, but that was sort of where you really got. So two thousand is when the first X Men movie came out, and that is where like superhero movies started to become something a little bit more legitimate. Uh, you had then the follow up the the uh, Sam Raimi Spider Man films, but essentially one and two, uh, and then you had X two, and you just had. Suddenly, like superhero films weren't a joke anymore. They were like good movies people wanted to see. Then you had Batman Begins, which took the character of Batman and made into the super grounded, super realistic character. And then in 2008, The Dark Knight came out. And we're going to talk about why this movie is so great on so many levels uh, in so many ways. And... It wasn't just a superhero film. It's a, it's a it's a crime drama. It is a tragedy. is It is a thriller. Uh, you also at the same time Iron Man, which launched, uh, which launched the MCU, and those movies have gotten more comic book as time has gone on. But they you know they started kind of from a little bit more of a place of grounded realism. It was just all this stuff had culminated now to two thousand eight, where it was like superhero movies don't have to be stupid. They don't have to be dumb. They can be saying something. They can be thoughtful. They can have ideas and reflect the times, which this movie really does reflect the times. And it's it's just so fascinating now, like watching this again, like so much of it holds up on its own uh, that really it's kind of hard to to at times be like, oh, yeah, this is a superhero movie because it's like this is just a great movie. It's just so good.
0: It is. And and one of my discussion topics, I think Nicole and and both you and Nicole, your discussions lead into this very well, was when you look at all three of the films that came out in Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, for some reason to me, this film feels the most realistic. It feels the most grounded in that reality that Nicole was talking about. I think part of that is because um, Batman begins, you have, you know, the It's Liam Neeson in the mountains and the and the dust that can not the dust, the uh, The like the drug smoke that can make you see monsters. And then three is like, it's anarchy. We've taken over an entire U.S. city, which you don't get me wrong. I love both these movies, but I have to suspend more disbelief to watch both of them. I can don't have to quite suspend as much belief watching the things the Joker does in this movie. He's blowing up hospitals, he's stranding people, he's killing innocent civilians, he's robbing banks. It is all stuff that is very much unlike the Scarecrow and Bane.
1: Uh, Okay, so there's a a term with superheroes called the Dark Mirror, which is the the superheroes' uh, version of themselves that is the evil version of themselves. You see it a lot, all the time in Marvel films uh killmonger in black panther to be very specific Ironmonger, monger huh well, that's weird uh in the original iron man film um it, 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 uh, the yellow jacket in ant-man and in this movie you know scarecrow is not really the dark mirror to batman uh also this was sort of revolutionary in the, in the way of that the first movie didn't have the the Superhero's major villain uh it had a good villain scarecrow and then you saved Mm -hmm. the real hard-hitting stuff for the second movie which is still fairly unheard of uh so you you bring in this guy who is like like batman it's just a guy is just a man whose motivations are insanity and are just crazy and it's it's he's more compelling because he's not coming from a place of superpowers he is coming from we we don't know there's a there's this mystery surrounding. He's so compelling because he is an enigma, and we're drawn into him. We want to know more, but also like we don't, because if we knew more, that would ruin it. Like Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker in 1989's Batman.
0: <laughs> You're saying that you don't want to see him get pushed into a vat no. of whatever it is. No, okay. Joker's Joker's origin should always be ambiguous. We're definitely yeah. going to... I'll be interested to hear your hot takes later in the show then because we're going to talk about our good old friend Joaquin a little bit anyway.
2: But right. To talk I mean, about this, this version movie. of the Joker, it's it's very very clear from the way it wears on his face that he's wearing makeup. You know, his face mm-hmm. has not been altered by falling into a vat of chemicals and changing color and whatnot. This is, this is makeup that he's slapped on at some point probably like five days ago and he's forgotten about or he looks in the mirror and that that's his face to him that's what his face is supposed to look like
1: yeah so he doesn't think about it very much yeah at one point in the film you see him without the makeup it's like I love that it's just a a flash of a second you get it like enough to be like oh okay so the, the the white and black and and all that isn't the permanent part it's what he chooses and, like, he has, like, a face underneath that, like, we don't see, except for in that brief second.
0: Right, but even in that brief second, we see, like, oh, yeah. the red, we see the red still. No, not, still no.
1: See. When he's, when he's the cop? Or when he's, yeah. The, yeah. No.
0: When he's the cop, when he's in the, when he's you in the You see the, the scars,
1: speed. because he has those scars on his face.
0: I guess, yeah. I guess that's not actually makeup. That's just because his face is all red because of the scars. So, I mean, that part of his face is altered, but you're right, Nicole. He doesn't, like, turn different colors like Jack Nicholson. <laughs>
2: No, like when he's being when he's being interrogated in the uh, the major crimes unit, you can see there's patches on his forehead where you can see the skin underneath.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the Joker, Heath Ledger. Uh this is this is a film that I think is synonymous with Heath Ledger in more ways than yeah. one. Not only was it his last film more or less, uh, but it was something that garnered him a, you know, posthumous Oscar. Which a yep. lot of people sometimes argue is rose tinted, and I don't believe it is, but I'd like to talk about that because I think the Joker performance in this film is superb enough to warrant the praise that it gets, even if Heath Ledger had not died. It's
1: his performance is stellar. Like there's no other way to say yeah. it. I, I don't I don't want to go into hyperbole here, but it is. I am not watching Heath Ledger portraying a character. I am watching the Joker on screen the entire time he embodies this character in an amazing way that it's like, yeah, it's hard to think. Would he have won the Oscar if he had lived? I don't know. We don't live in that universe. We live in the unfortunate one where Heath Ledger died. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I can't say that he didn't deserve it because he's amazing.
2: It's it's difficult for me to say for certain because I didn't see a couple of the other movies that were nominated that year i know that he was up against uh philip seymour hoffman in doubt and michael shannon in something <laughs> uh, and then a couple of guys that it was just like yeah yeah whatever
0: um is that what happens whenever you yeah. win best actor you won against michael shannon and something he's just kind of always up in the background
2: well i mean i think michael shannon is a Absolutely brilliant actor, and I'm sure oh, he will Oscar. get more than one Oscar in his lifetime. Um, but back then, I don't think he had quite honed his craft to the degree he's got it now. Philip Seymour Hoffman is, was always a great actor, but Doubt was not, it, it, it was a good but not great movie. Um, And it was received that way critically as good, but not great. And this performance, I think David, I I think is right. I mean, this is, I, I think it's a fantastic performance. He is fully in the role and it, it turned out to a somewhat unhealthy degree um, that he was in this role. It was, it was really uh, by many accounts, very disturbing for him personally to play this role um, and that might have been a, there, there are theories that it might have been a contributing factor in, you know, the drugs he was taking before his death. Um, but I don't know. But I mean, this feels like a real psychopath, like a real, what a real live person with a psyche, serious psychiatric disorder might act like. You know, it doesn't feel like a a stereotypical movie. He's a crazy guy. You know, act go act crazy. You know, and he's not like twitching and talking to himself like he's you know having a conversation with himself. He's he's uh, he's like antsy. He has these weird. He has this weird tick where he like licks the corner of his so, lips sometimes. Oh,
1: I love... Which, it's, it's because the prosthetic kept coming off, so he had to do it to like, uh, keep it in place. Now, see, but I
2: used to think that that was over the top, and then I yeah, unfortunately encountered somebody who was, uh, turned out, taking amphetamines and was high as a kite at the time, who was doing that. It's such a perfect tick. All during oh. this event I was at, that's a tick that people have. Uh, when they're when they're on certain drugs, so I mean, you know, maybe the Joker is also on drugs, but I have no doubt that you know this. It it doesn't feel like a character; it feels like a person. Yeah, and I think scary, part of those, scary person.
0: <laughs> part of what's so great about the ticks, as well, is it's more than just like licking the prosthetic. He'll just like kind of just whip his tongue out like a frog at times, and. He almost has like a dog-like personality in this movie, for lack of a better analogy, especially like when he escapes after being purposely caught. Well, he, he's driving in the police car with his head sticking out. He the window compares himself
1: to a dog. There. He he says like you know I'm I'm like a dog uh, chasing a car. You know I I don't know what I'd do if I'd caught it. I just I just chase it. Uh, sure, yeah. Absolutely. One thing I want to I say here, um, his family put the rumors to rest that this film contributed to his mental state. Uh, they said that he was actually far from being depressed and he had a lot of fun with the role. He did suffer from insomnia throughout his life and would often take sleeping pills together with other prescription drugs, something his sister actually warned against the night before his death. And it was a mixture of that that... Uh, That did it. So I don't want to say like maybe this movie didn't affect his mentality in some way, but it's hard to say like that's the reason he started doing drugs. It's like it probably was something from uh, being in Hollywood, unfortunately.
2: Some from column A, some from column B. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Now, I know David is also a very big Tom Waits fan, and I've always loved that about this movie because he did indeed pull the Joker's iconic voice from Tom Waits's just normal speaking voice which is oh, really? wonderful yeah oh, listen to Tom Waits in a normal uh-huh. interview like when he's not deep and growly like 1974 1975 ish and uh, he sounds identical to Heath Ledger's Joker
1: yeah go watch uh, uh, go watch mystery men and you will see a uh, uh, Tom Waits who's a little I mean a little growly at that point but that'll give you an idea
0: uh, also. Yeah, Heath Ledger was mm. listening to Tom Waits' records on repeat, trying to mimic the voice. That was how he was developing uh, part of the character.
2: Okay, that is interesting. Yeah, because it's it's definitely... I thought it was a really interesting choice. It's He's speaking in a... Not only that sort of slightly nasally quality that he puts in it, but it's also a higher register than his normal speaking voice was. Right. And I always kind of wondered why he why he did that
0: me i've been right here yeah (laughs) and part of that part of that might be the comic version does that right like if you listen to mark hamill play the character on tv which i believe had been happening already at this point for quite some time
1: oh i mean it was over by the time it was years uh later
2: well, yeah, I mean, but right. Cesar Romero used, you know, a, a mix of his his regular lower speaking voice. And then he'd only hit the highs when he, you know, launched
1: into a hysterical laughter. But uh, Cesar Romero, the man who couldn't be bothered to shave his mustache for,
2: <laughs> I know.
1: for well, that's the trail so, of the Joker.
2: It's very weird watching the old Batman show and seeing that it's a a painted over mustache on Cesar Romero.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's not great. It's not great.
2: No.
0: So, and just to amend my previous 1974 and 1975 comment, it was a 1979 interview with Letterman, which is where Heath Ledger got the idea to use Tom Waits' voice. So, but to move on from that, let's also talk about the comic book influences of this movie. And I think David in particular could speak well to this. I think you know a thing or two about the comic books. (laughs) And I honestly... I couldn't tell you if anything in The Dark Knight happens in the comic books. I've so, never read a Batman th- comic book.
1: So, no, in a way, um, th- th- things are th- – they're inspiration taken. I just wanted to point people kind of with this. If, you're, if you've are if you seen this movie and you're like, what are some you – because know, Batman is hard to, to jump into because where do you start? Uh, but there are some stuff that's kind of, I would say, out of the, the continuity – uh, that's been around for a long time. Uh, primarily, if you, if you want to talk about with this movie, uh, the Killing Joke is a great place to start. Uh, the Killing Joke is pr- probably the most iconic Joker story of all time. Uh, there's some reflections there with some of the like the interrogation scene where the the two of them are talking about, and at the very end uh, when the Joker's hanging upside down, talking about we're destined to do this forever. Uh, it's very reminiscent kind of echoey of The Killing Joke. Um, the Long Halloween plays a very major part. It, it is a uh, graphic novel that starts before Harvey Dent becomes Two-Face and uh, Harvey Dent becomes Two-Face during that time. And, and it kind of leads into events later on. Uh, but you get sort of these rooftop meetings between um, between Gordon Harvey Dent and Batman that it's we get one of those in this. It's, it, it is dead on like that is exactly what they are doing. Uh, some people say Dark Knight Returns, but that Dark Knight Returns more um, influenced the Dark Knight Rises more than anything. I would say there's a, a couple of, of points uh, that do. Um, well,
2: yeah, Dark Knight Returns is, in the comic books is, you know, kind of like the Batman gets old
1: yeah kind of no story yeah. It, He re- and
2: it's also they actually brought parts of that into batman versus superman batman yeah batman, batman versus superman yeah. dawn of justice yeah brought a little bit of that in
1: yeah uh, dark knight rises because uh dark knight returns is or yeah dark knight returns is batman who's retired for a while and comes back for various reasons which you can see i mean that's kind of what happens in dark knight rises i would say uh the first movie is is takes a lot of inspiration. Batman Begins takes a lot of inspiration from Batman Year One. Great comic. This movie, I'd say, takes a mix of the long Halloween and uh, The Killing Joke. And then really the last movie draws heavily from The Dark Knight Returns. So people are interested in like, what are, you know, if I like these movies, what are some Batman comics I can read? I would say those ones.
0: Though fair warning, if you're going to go into The Killing Joke... Batman's oh, the killing! Gonna do some boning, and there's gonna no be what? Some really no, that's the uncomfortable stuff going on. No, 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 that's okay.
1: You're talking about the movie. I'm talking about the comic. <laughs> in
0: the, do they not bone they, in, the, in the comic? No, they added
1: some overtones to their relationship that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. I still haven't actually seen. Uh, Batgirl, Batgirl, and Batman get it on.
0: Yeah, there's Batman and Batgirl, and then there's also like really uncomfortable things that Joker does to Barbara oh, Gordon, who is a lot.
1: Uh, well, okay, there. Yeah, the, so he does. slight warning it is a bit disturbing he does shoot her and then uh strip her and take photos that he then uses to torture uh jim gordon later it's dark guys like i'm not gonna not gonna lie to you but it is also seminal uh joker story so
0: yeah definitely i totally agree now let's also talk a bit about the practical effects of this movie too. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm trying to like move us through so you can get through in an hour because we have so <laughs> many things to talk about, but the practical effects in this movie are so impressive. This is something Nicole brought up, brought up in our docket, but I think it would inevitably would have come up anyway, because what's great about this movie to me is that the practical effects are so good and everywhere that even some of the best quips in the movie, or in my opinion, the best quip in the movie it's because the practical effects went wrong and then ended up going so right. One of my favorite parts of this movie is when Gotham general is getting blown up by the Joker and Heath Ledger's walking away from the building. as the building starting to blow up and the building doesn't blow up behind him. And he keeps hitting the little doohickey and slamming on it and, you know, raises his hands and a shoulder shrug because it was supposed to blow up all of that. Was him ad libbing the character because he couldn't figure out why the explosion had not already happened behind him.
1: Okay, so, uh, unfortunately, uh, that's sort of a rumor. That's not entirely what? true. Uh, the, the really, pa- I've always heard that the pause, it, the delay between the explosion was deliberate. This was to allow uh, time for Heath Ledger to be much closer to the building and also like the get away from it before the real big explosion happened. His what he did in that time of the pause was not scripted. He came up with it in that moment. But the uh, pause and explosives was on purpose. There's there are some very interesting things around. Like this movie has developed a whole bunch of rumors and like. It, I, I love that that's kind of points to the importance of a movie like this you know like i don't i'm not saying this and the shining are the same but the shining also has like all these rumors of like what really happened there like this wow. movie has also developed a bunch of rumors of like uh, yeah the the things didn't go off and heath ledger's just so amazing that he just went with it it's like no well, no actually that was what was
0: supposed to happen oh that's fascinating all right. All right, well, thank you for yeah. that but it is cool what <laughs> he did in that meantime well, they're, they're- yeah.
2: there's no full length commentary on the Blu-ray, but they do have these little like things they call focus points where you can have an icon that shows up at certain points in the movie and you click on it. And uh, for the hospital scene, they said they rehearsed it like 12 times before they actually did the explosions because they wanted to make sure that Heath could clear the building, get to a safe distance, and they could back the bus up to the exact right spot for him to just hop on it.
1: Yeah, uh, I, though, though, something that was improvised that, um, that often gets said to is when Heath Ledger claps in the jail cell, that was not scripted. He did do that, uh, in character and they, they've just kept filming as like everybody's reaction to him clapping was genuine. Um, the practice, the only real CGI. I mean, there's, you know, some CGI touch ups here and there, but the only real CGI effect I can think of in this movie, uh, well, I guess when he's flying around the buildings in China still looks great, uh, is is Two Faces face is Harvey Dent's face um, which Christopher Nolan didn't want to do practical effects because practical you have to add something and Two Faces you're taking something away from his face you know with how they did it uh, I still it looks amazing um, it is just the
0: right amount of of digital effects uh,
1: mm. you don't think it holds up
0: <laughs> it ain't no Tommy Lee Jones it ain't uh... <laughs>
2: No, it's just, I, I think the, the problem with doing it digitally is that it's, it's not going to age tremendously well. It's already starting a little bit to look kind of fakey. There's just, there's too, they went too far with it there's too much gone his jaw wouldn't be able to work the way it does yeah and he wouldn't be able to speak as clearly as he does the way they've got it
1: we're already suspending so much disbelief
2: (laughs) i know but i mean you you know you see that with half his face gone yeah he's not gonna talk as well as if he had all of his lips still there he's
0: not lisping at all and the gasoline perfectly understood the metaphor of it being exactly fifty-fifty. Well, he halfway down his he face. rolled <laughs> he rolled half he
1: rolled half his face in the gasoline. Uh I will say though, aging a lot better than the first Iron Man has. I'm just saying, guys, go watch that movie again. Some of those suit shots. Whew. Boy.
2: Yeah. No, uh, it is it is nice to see that there was so much done practically. The the main use of CGI was Harvey Dent's face and erasing uh safety rigs and the other cameras like chris nolan would have like five or six cameras covering uh uh, when they did stunts just in case several angles to pick from yeah Uh, let's talk Plus, if you can only do the stunt once (laughs) you want to get as many cameras as possible shooting it let's talk about the truck flip yeah, the truck flip, which they shot with like seven cameras. David
0: is so excited. I just want everybody to know I'm just watching pure, innocent joy on David's face. The
2: truck oh, flip well, is you, amazing. This is my face, too. I mean, this is my very <laughs> favorite shot of the movie is they flip this truck over and it's on it. You can see hundreds, if not thousands of movies where they jackknife a tractor trailer because you can do that really Pretty easily. I mean, it's not yeah. safe for the stunt guy, but it's easy to jackknife a tractor trailer. But getting it to flip over on its nose oh. is stunning. And in the middle of LaSalle, is it LaSalle Street, LaSalle Drive, mm-hmm. Chicago? Yep. It's the middle of the financial district. Oh, in and they—they
1: they were terrified of doing it there, by the way, because <laughs> oh, so much millions of dollars worth of damage potential. I mean, they did it. They did it twice. They did it once on like an airstrip to make sure that it worked, uh, and then once they proved concept, it's like, all right, let's do this in the middle of Chicago.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I w- when watching this movie as a Chicagoan, it's kind of funny because Gotham is like, it's more Chicagoy in nature than New York, I think. Um, yes. Because yeah, Nolan is Nolan more is, New York-y uh, to me. Yeah.
1: Nolan's a Chicago so. boy.
0: Yeah, But with <laughs> that said... Metropolis is New York,
2: and Gotham is Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, political corruption, the mafia everywhere, Chicago. Right.
0: But with that said, geographically, it's interesting in this movie to me because I see a lot of shots of places that I know quite, quite well. Like, for example when the Joker makes a threat to the island and they're all going to kill this guy, the the snitch who knows who Batman is, Uh, Mister there's a shot right above where the South loop breaks into the North shore and three bridges are going across into the North shore. And there's this car is completely backed up through all of that. Uh, And what's great about this shot to me, and they didn't have to do this was the following shot is when gordon and harvey dent are in an office talking and behind them is that exact spot they went and they filmed in a building that was next to that spot so they could have it perfectly in the background the way it needed to be and you would never catch this unless you've like been in that building like i have for a work related reason like three weeks ago um (laughs) But the fact that they went that far to do it was incredible to me. What I find interesting geographically, and I realize this is kind of pointless, but I find it fascinating, is Gotham is also kind of New York-y in the sense that I don't think it's landlocked, right? (laughs)
1: Well, according to the first movie, no.
2: No, every DC movie, sorry, every DC city is on a river somewhere. There, there are no right. landlocked DC cities. Uh, there's a, I mean, there's I think Central
1: city, city might town. be.
2: Smallville Smallville's landlocked. Everything else right, is on the it like
0: It's a big almost like a big New York like circle because all the big giant bridges at the very end that people are escaping off of are then folded upward, right? And, there's, and you'd need the ferries to get across, which is not a Chicago thing. That's a New York thing.
1: Yeah, Central City is located yeah. in Ohio. So, you know, there's, I mean, at least it's a uh, uh, anyway, it's
2: one of the Great Lakes on Ohio. If you're in Northern uh, Ohio, that's true.
1: Anyway, uh, the, 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 I think and no, no
2: ferries on Lake Michigan. <laughs>
0: it's a cool movie to watch if you're from Chicago or you live in Chicago. You're gonna see a lot of places you recognize, and that extended oh, okay. very much through the Dark Knight Rises. It no, also it doesn't. Through... what
1: the Dark Knight Rises was filmed in like Philadelphia
0: or something? Really? Like, and that's oh, uh, no, 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 no. Do you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of um. Batman versus Superman. That was filmed in Chicago because I saw it filmed. Uh, (laughs) Um, I think that was filmed in the South loop. I
1: I think going back to like the dark Knight rises for a second though, I think that movie loses some of the heart this movie has because Christopher Nolan has such a love for Chicago and Gotham in this movie. uh, And in the first one as well, like they feel like just like you, you get to know kind of the city. Then the, the, the third movie, it looks nothing like what we've seen up to that point. And it's like, he just doesn't have the same love for where he's at. At that time, I just—I don't know—it doesn't feel the same to me as these movies.
0: You know, that's interesting because Gotham yeah. does feel a little bit more lived in in the first two movies, and especially because they just kind of empty it out in the third movie. <sighs> yeah, it feels even more vacant to personality at times.
1: I look, I like the third movie, but I—I th- I mean, there are just some issues. We're not here to discuss The Dark Knight Rises, but I think they there's some real missteps in that movie.
2: Oh, I'm I'm with you, David. I mean, there's it's it's not there are some, some malfunctions in that movie, but I, I still quite like it. Oh yeah. No, yeah, yeah, I do.
0: Um, and, and that actually brings me perfect into our next discussion topic, which is, is this the definitive Batman film across Mm. all the characters, cinematic iterations? And I would actually even extend that further and say, if we're aligning with this potentially being a future classic spoilers, it sounds like all three of us might say it is, uh, will it ever be done much better? Because I, I know everyone says that and then 50 years from now they do it better, right. but it just feels so perfectly done. I just don't know how you make it better.
2: Well, I can think of one way and it, I might get some argument about this, but I, it's part of, I hate to be one of the people who's piling on the, the bandwagon of people who criticize Uh, most of Christopher Nolan's movies for being emotionally detached. Hmm. But I don't feel a lot of attachment to the characters in this movie, except the Joker, weirdly enough. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm frightened of him, but I mean, he's the, he's real feeling and I feel like you can, you can kind of get a, a handle on who he is. He seems like a real person. And it's a little more iffy with, I don't know. Bruce,
1: so much of the emotional oh, weight. It's
2: not that you, it's not that you don't, that Bruce Wayne doesn't feel like a real person, because there are these moments of vulnerability and humor that Christian Bale puts in there. And there, are, you know, I really, really, really like how Maggie Gyllenhaal plays Rachel. Um, I think she does a great job, but I don't love her, so it so, doesn't hurt yeah. when they kill her
1: off. So much of the emotional weight of this movie is put on Rachel, and Rachel is not a character from the comics. It is a character wholly cut for the movie, uh, which I I appreciate them doing that on one hand, but also at the same time, I agree with Nicole that it's like there's just, uh, there's not, she, she does the best she can with what she has but it's not great. It's uh, yeah. The emotions are where I agree. This movie falls short. And I think, I think, yeah, there can be a better iteration of Batman coming as a guy who loves Batman, uh, who had a comic book podcast for a long time. I think uh, we will hopefully one day we'll get a movie where, um, where Batman gets to do a lot more detective work. Than we've seen, uh,
0: that's interesting.
1: My, my, in my head, the perfect version of a a Batman movie is actually something to do, uh, where either he's stuck in Arkham Asylum, uh, Partially based on the great Grant Morrison novel Arkham I Asylum.
0: About, I was about to say the games because the, uh, the also also that Arkham Asylum games a lot of detective work a lot yeah. of the stuff that you probably would like to see in this. or
1: yeah or uh, something where like the Arkham villains get out and he has to deal with kind of a, a city in chaos sort of a, a how Arkham the Arkham games are it's just like I, I think there is so much more to do and I will look I'm gonna say a statement people might disagree with me on here but uh, if they. They're heading in some good directions with Batfleck. If they tune that up a little bit, I think we've got a really damn fine version of Batman on screen. If they continue in the right direction with that.
0: Interesting. Um, So there's a couple things I want to dial back to really quick. First of all, in regard to Rachel, at least she's not the emotional vacuum slash black hole that is Katie Holmes. Uh, Uh, Now, uh,
2: wait a minute.
0: (laughs) Katie Holmes couldn't <laughs> act her way out of a soap. Like, it's just awful. Oh, uh, I don't want to wait for this episode to
1: be over. All right. That's I, my I
2: don't think she's awful. I just, I don't think it's the right role for her.
0: It's not the right role for her. Maggie I wish they cast Maggie Gyllenhaal
2: from the beginning.
0: But why she's too mature looking for the
2: first movie.
0: Why, why do they Katie dump Holmes
2: can Oh, why'd they dump her?
0: Yeah, like cuz this this is we we we're, we're not really addressing this head on, but the first movie has Katie Holmes in the character and then they just recasted it for the second movie.
2: Um, well, I mean, I don't know for sure. I haven't dug into that at all.
0: Let me see what I can find while you're
2: talking. It, I'm guessing they would say that it was a scheduling issue. Um, Pardon my voice, I just had a major coughing fit.
1: It was finally Um, confirmed. Oh, keep going, keep going.
2: (laughs) I'm guessing that she, they would say that she had a scheduling issue and they used that as an excuse to replace her with with a more mature actress who's got a little more experience and who had a little more of... probably had a better chemistry with both Christian Bale and Aaron Eckert than Katie Holmes did.
1: Yeah, she... uh, Her... Uh, performance was not well received and actually she was nominated for a golden raspberry at the time Um, it could be one thing too, where maybe uh, she asked for more money and uh, they were not cool with that I know uh, another famous one with superhero movies is um, James Rhodes from Iron Man Terrence Howard was actually the first guy signed on for Iron Man and thus got a really nice paycheck. And in the Iron Man 2, they're like, well, we're not going to pay you that much because, you know, you're you're a supporting character. And uh, he was not happy with that. So he walked and then we got Don Cheadle. So I think that happens actually. a lot. That's a lot of reason you see recasting is like usually they're not willing to pay what the actor wants them to pay.
0: And. Nicole mentioned the chemistry that Jaden uh, Hall has with both um, Bale and Eckhart. I would also extend that um, to to Alfred as well. She has. Uh, I know. I, I just how have we not talked about Michael Caine? Name. Right, but Michael Kane I feel like her Michael Caine emotional connection with with Michael Kane's character in the brief scenes they do interact is a lot more powerful than anything Kitty Holmes ever did with him, and I feel like. When you talk about emotion in Batman, there can be the love story and there can be his wrestling of his demons, but it all has to come back to Alfred and how Alfred is the emotional backbone of the character and that universe. I really believe that. Yeah.
2: Alfred is the emotional backbone of the movie. Yeah. He's like, like the heart of the movie
0: and he stays the heart from one to three he is the emotional backbone of the movies and the way the trilogy ends is with him right so like um i don't we're getting ahead of ourselves but i think the fact that she was able to have really great chemistry with him and also let's just throw it out there is it cool he burns the letter is that a cool thing to do alfred yes Uh, yeah you think i think so i think
2: given given what bruce is telling himself about how rachel felt about him there was no need at that point nobody would nobody would be the wiser there was no need for him to know that rachel would never have gotten back together with him unless he was ready to give up being Batman and she didn't think that was going to happen but if he ever did she'd totally leave that other guy for no him. she
1: says at the it, end I will always be there for you as a friend
2: yeah even like but, e- so I mean it's the, it, why why take away that one sort of comfort that Bruce has that that Rachel loved him and would have left Harvey for him if whenever when he was ready you know why there's no reason to do
1: that yeah, this is a this is a trend you see a lot in the comics as well, where writers really like to try to dig into the psychology of Batman and what keeps him, what, what would keep somebody going. And this movie trying to be grounded, uh, what keeps like Batman? Realistically, Batman is an insane person. Um, like that's you know, Grant Morrison has said as much. If you're really, if you're if you're Batman. Uh, you're emotionally broken and disturbed and just as crazy as the people you fight. And I think it's sort of interesting when writers take that uh, uh, mind as well, but a lot of people like, like, like what keeps him going? And you need for someone like that, like what keeps the guy who spends his nights dressing up as a bat, punching criminals going and, uh, and Alfred realized like, Hey, he needs this promise of something at the end, even if it's not real. Because so if he's doing it for nothing, then what's he doing it for?
2: Yeah, it is kind of upsetting though. In the in the comics, the, every time Batman gets a love interest, it's either Catwoman, who is totally inaccessible, or fifty oh, the issue.
1: Like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. We don't. Uh, God, looking at the time, we do not have time to dig into women in refrigerators, guys. But Google it. <laughs>
0: So Sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna, Moving on. I'm going to pivot us again. Uh, the foreshadowing in this script is this quip really necessary. This is one from Nicole. I was curious what you meant by this because I caught at least one or two and I was curious what yours was.
2: There's there's things like, you know, if you try to be a hero in this city long enough, you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Uh, which happens at the end of the movie? There, you know, Batman allows himself to become a villain so that Harvey can stay a hero. So, if you, um, if
1: you want proof that this movie is going to be a classic slash already is, you have two lines from this movie that have now entered our popular culture mindset. That's one of them: "Live long enough to so you to become the villain." And also, some men just want to watch the world burn. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted. Yes, continue.
2: That is a, that is a great line. Yeah, but um, the other one that really stood out to me is they're at the gala and harvey's talking to alfred and he's, he's talking you know talking about rachel and he's like well you've known her her whole life and oh yeah not yet believe is not yet <laughs> so yeah so, but there, I, I, there's I like days left so he really has he
0: really does know her her whole life I, I actually thought, took what you were writing in the docket more literally when Alfred makes the quip that the suit is not cat-proof and then could more or less just wink oh, at the camera. Uh, it's Lucius, well, like, yes. it's, Lucius, uh, it's Lucius
1: Fox, says it. Um, excuse me, Lucius Fox, says it. Uh, no, oh, so.
0: right, I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> fine. The
1: uh, <laughs> character you so were referring to yeah. actually Lucius yes,
0: Fox. <laughs> so Sam <laughs> Mendes didn't want to make a big-budget action movie thinking you couldn't do anything interesting with them then he saw The Dark Knight, and it convinced him to make Skyfall, which oddly enough was another future classic pick in our past. Yeah, yeah.
1: I I just love that. I love that. Like this, the way this movie had an impact so immediately. Like we wouldn't have had Skyfall without this movie. If that doesn't tell you the impact this movie had immediately, and will continue to have, like I don't know what to tell you.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, Skyfall does so many things well on a big budget action style that this does well, right? It does have much more weight than your normal summer blockbuster. It does have a compelling iteration of a longstanding character that was in desperate need of evolving. (laughs) So 100%, I could totally see how that could inspire him to go make Skyfall yeah addition, additionally i'm oh, sorry go ahead david oh
1: well, and i i read that uh it also had some influence on black panther um apparently michael b jordan was trying to make his version of the joker uh with killmonger i'm huh. just gonna leave that as is
0: so one more question and then i want to get into the the couple tiny nitpickings that <laughs> only me like me and nicole put nitpickings in the docket but i do want to bring them up we have to we have to shit on it just a tiny bit right uh, like wait, it, look, everybody's no, human what so all right uh no but the hypocrisy of the joker david talk to us where your mindset with this.
1: The with this the joker preaches anarchy and chaos it's the only thing that's fair everything he does is so planned Everything okay. he does is so planned. He at the end that he requires
2: is requires meticulous ma- planning to the, carry it off.
1: At the end, he is reading from a script. Uh yeah, he's he's pushing towards quote unquote chaos, but no, everything he's doing is entirely by design.
0: For him. <laughs> um, so I mean, as long as everyone else is in an- anarchic chaos, maybe that's fine. <sighs>
2: Maybe he just means anarchy against the system. Yeah, you know, yeah, not yeah, anarchy know. in everyday actions necessarily. Uh,
1: but no, but he's he. I mean, because he says like uh, everybody's schemers. You 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 had your little plans, but all throughout the movie, he has these little plans. He's making everybody move yeah. into the right spot to do just the right thing. Like he's full of plans
0: which if you actually like sit down and draw yourself a map of the things that would need to happen perfectly in order for his plans to really pull off successfully it's kind of incredible oh yeah no <laughs> like there is there is a degree of luck that goes into i mean granted meticulous incredible planning exhibited throughout the whole movie but there's also a degree of luck there yeah
2: yeah, how does he rig the ferries so that nobody notices the many, many, many barrels of explosives down in the hole?
1: Oh, how did he sneak those kind of explosives into a hospital
2: that <laughs> yeah, nobody noticed? Yeah, uh, there's all kinds yeah. of stuff. Oh, David,
0: David did you not see his disguise?
1: Oh, man, he looks so great. <laughs> this what scene a when he takes off the mask and sits down uh, to talk to Harvey, its oh, it's perfect. The way he like smiles so awkwardly oh so it is
0: the best high ever to be said in a movie (laughs) it's so great uh when nicole picked this movie i just sent that to her in gift form because i love that scene and i love that that scene kicks off something i thought was interesting i actually noticed it this time and i hadn't before um i took notes on this i'm gonna get my phone um did you guys notice that the uh you die. You don't die. You die. You don't die. If heads, tails, flips, fifty fifty every time, or am mm-hmm. I really late to the party on this? No. That-
2: oh, the, how it actually adds up during the, over the course of the movie.
0: Yeah, like like in, in the actual like like the way the movie plays out. So heads, Joker spared in the hospital, right? He doesn't kill the Joker. Yeah. Tails kills the guy in the bar. Heads doesn't kill Sal, but Tails kills his driver. Heads doesn't kill Ramirez, but tails shoots Batman, and then heads um, he doesn't shoot himself, and then it goes back again, which is um, for the kid. And I went and looked this up, and this is something that people have posted online before. And a redditor noted, like the only time in the movie that heads pops up twice is when he has now died. And I actually, maybe I'm digging way too deep right now, but I actually do wonder if that's symbolic of his cycle being broken. Uh,
1: The coin is his totem. I just want to go ahead and say that. Uh, (laughs) Also another point where the Joker is a hypocrite. He puts the gun to his head and is like, hey, Harvey, you can totally kill me. And then puts his thumb in between the the hammer and the gun so that uh, if he fired, it wouldn't have actually done anything uh so he was preparing to not die because his plans couldn't finish there uh yeah the breaking of the cycle with his death
0: yeah i I actually realized it was a cycle for the first time and i thought that was oddly fitting for his character and actually i was going to put in the docket i was going to throw some hot takes down on (laughs) two-face i've always thought that two-face was an unnecessary addition to this movie and i never liked them and what? I, I just don't like his character. I don't like the, the villain of Two-Face, but I, I came around to it this time because I haven't seen this movie in a couple years and I realized you need him because, yeah. he, I mean, obviously he's the catalyst for Rachel and that whole love triangle, but more so and more importantly, he makes Batman the villain at the end which is why you have three. And I realize I'm pointing out the obvious, but it took me a long time to finally come to terms with, okay, two face has to be in this movie. And I actually like his character. I think part of that is I don't really like Aaron Eckhart, but I did like him. I finally came around. I think part of that was noticing that cycle, noticing how meticulous his character was written post. I get my face blown off.
1: Yeah, I think he's. I think two Face is a great part of this film.
0: Yeah, I came around to, it's again no Tommy Lee Jones. No, no Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah,
1: boy. <laughs> oh boy.
0: Just a red face so paint. Bad. So bad. Especially because he like shared a house with the Riddler. Like it was like a uh, because he was face. trying
1: he was trying to upstage Jim Carrey the entire time.
2: <laughs> yeah, good luck with that.
0: <laughs> so let's also talk about the problems in this movie.
1: Okay, look.
0: Nicole thinks that the mobsters are boring, and I kind of agree,
1: yeah, the mobsters are always the most boring villains Batman faces,
2: oh, well, yeah, I mean, the whole it is for for me, it is difficult to make a movie exciting and engaging on the basis of let's follow where the mafia's money is going. It's like, ooh. Cares? I don't. <laughs> you know, it's not financial goings on are not interesting to me, and they're not inherently cinematic.
0: And yeah, you could have the entire movie about them, right? The only purpose for the mafia in this movie is, I mean, Harvey Dent makes a stupid comment later on in the movie about you know them essentially letting the cat out of the bag by setting the joker free joker's crazy he's gonna go do what he wants to do anyway now he's just getting paid for it uh, like i don't yeah. think the if you're good at something as are catalyst for him to go do these things
1: if you're good at something never do it for free uh the the mafia is 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 also, I mean, the mafia is a classic Batman villain, which is kind of a weird thing to say. But I mean, uh, the the long Halloween, which I recommended, has a lot to do with the Marconi crime crime family being killed off on major holidays. It's a great comic, guys. Just go read it. <laughs> um, I, I think that you know, you start that thread from the first Batman film, Batman Begins. In this in this universe, it is Batman has risen up against. The mafia, you know, that's what he started his crusade against. And he take, you know, he takes out the crazy guys. And then it's like, now I'm going to go back to just fighting the mob, you know, one man or the entire mob. He's trying to, like, make the clean streets. And then the one man ends up being way more of a problem. They like, really should have gone after the Joker the entire time. I mean, I I do agree. They're not super compelling or interesting when you have people like Heath Ledger's Joker and, and Two-Face to contend with. But I think it's also kind of the point. It's kind of like they are they are the mundane that embraces the thing bigger than themselves because batman is bigger than them and they're terrified and of it
2: i wish then that they had cast somebody less
1: <sighs> if you disparage eric roberts right now
2: <laughs> can't be i was about to say a little a little less flashy than eric roberts
1: all right that
2: might have worked but he's He's what what Watch scenery yourself, he is given. He chomps on with relish.
1: What movie is Eric Roberts not chewing the scenery though? Let's be honest.
2: Well, that's why I'm saying casting him I think was a mistake. Good
1: God, this man is in so many things. I just pulled up his eye. Oh yeah, he has like 25 movies in post production. This can't be right.
2: <laughs> no, oh yes, it can.
1: Ah,
0: oh, Eric man Roberts. Likes to work. Good so the, the last thing I want to talk about before we go around the table two two more quick things, because we're running a little bit long. I know it's a great movie, though. I do have some tiny nitpickings uh, that I wanted to throw out there. I realize all of them are dumb and they don't break the movie for me, but I'm going to throw them out there anyway. Email me or tweet me if you agree with these. Um, first of all, the fundraiser scene is bad and has always been bad. It's stupid. What it makes no, no that- sense?
1: Scene is it, so it, great when the Joker throws that wine, like glass of champagne, and then drinks it. Love it. No, 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 no. I'm,
0: I'm talking about the function of the scene, like what the Joker does in the scene is fantastic. But the fact that, like, where oh no, Bruce May- Wayne, Harvey the only Dan. man that could economically feasibly be Batman, uh, miraculously disappears. Welcome and to the, the comics. Shows up seconds later, yeah. and that happens, and then there's this ridiculous break in the movie where after he goes and gets her. He doesn't go get the Joker? Like what happens? What happens to the Joker upstairs? Does he leave? <laughs> does he go to the That's open door? Like he, he
2: makes his escape while they're, while he's rescuing Rachel.
0: Yeah. I guess. Sure. That's... I mean, the that that scene has always felt like a weird plot hole to me because a, it it's gives the, How Batman is it a plot away? hole? Because it just gives bat, like How does it break you would the plot? Know who Batman is. The, okay. Yeah, we know
1: who Batman is because we're watching the movie. That, uh, right, but
0: you don't think if you're at a billionaire's party and the Batman's running around with all these extraordinary gadgets that the one dude in town who could probably afford to be Batman disappears and then like two minutes later, Batman shows up?
1: They see him going into a panic room. Look, man, it's not perfect, but you have to the, suspend, suspend some disbelief. This is a world no, where you I think agree. that Batman can function. I, that's
0: why I said that none of these things really hold that much weight. Um, the other thing, I have three of them. <laughs> the other thing... Is, uh Batman's whole rule like his one rule that is never spoken explicitly but is certainly I don't kill is dumb and has always been dumb because he kills a ton of people in this movie
1: oh no ba- oh, movie Batman kill indiscriminately uh
0: it's, right. it's- now now granted I'm not talking about the comics because I can't speak to those but it's 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 so stupid to me because he tells the Joker this on the way from probably like killing 50 60 people. Like, dude, you just slammed into a truck head-on with your Batmobile and yeah, the, turned it into a pancake. The guy in the cab of and that you're truck, you're truck. to the Joker about battle. that you don't kill people. Yeah. So movie, but movie. Granted, that's a problem with every superhero, right? Like how many people does Superman kill in Man of Steel? <laughs> so yeah,
1: movie Batman movie movie Batman are murderers.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then my third thing, and this has always infuriated me, and it's the stupidest thing ever, but I'm going to stand by this being infuriating, is. They go down underneath the street, which is supposed to be like, you know, like set like South Wabash underneath, you know, upper Wabash in Chicago, where they're like, oh, my God, there's a fire truck on fire on the street. We have to go to the lower levels. We have to go to the under streets. You could just go go to the other street. They literally just pass a perfectly good street going in the opposite direction and specifically (laughs) go down.
1: Yeah, but like, the sequence that no follows is so exciting.
0: <laughs> you have cleared these streets. There are helicopters above you. You can drive the opposite way when there is no traffic. You don't have to box yourself in while telling the the, you know, the audience, "Oh my god, we're boxing ourselves in." Also, when they drive by, you can see that there's a solid like 30 feet in between the fire truck and the beginning of the median, they could have very easily driven around that fire truck. Again, this is this not is, movie breaking, but it bugs me. I think I think this is one of those things where it's like
1: you don't really notice it the first time you watch. You're kind of like engrossed in the scene, uh, but then
0: like <laughs> this it's is definitely coming from someone who's seen this movie like twenty times. Yeah.
1: Oh, I, I have plenty of movies where I watch them now that I love to death, and I'm watching. I'm like, you know what's stupid? That
0: <laughs> especially <laughs> because like I realized when watching it this time that. The, the the guy that's in the passenger seat, who is great, who he doesn't know he's driving with Jim Gordon, right? We later learn that's why his partner's not talking to him. Yeah, I was just putting out my stupid nitpicks. Still an amazing movie. It's a masterpiece. I'm yeah. joking. Uh, Pretty much all three of them. I mean, I know, so, yeah, I know.
2: but then if they don't go down, we don't get to see them have like this fantastic chase on Lower Wacker Drive.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's really, really cool. It's, oh,
1: I mean, there's so much we, we haven't even begun to talk about. We haven't talked about at all the score in this movie. Oh, the score is yeah. so good. Uh we haven't talked about any of like. I mean, we we, we barely mentioned Michael Caine, Gary Oldman. Just Gary the, Oldman.
2: He's the, so Gary. good in the, this movie. Just like being an ordinary guy.
1: Yeah, we talk. Yeah, we talk about Heath Ledger, but like we like. There's so much powerhouse. Of acting in this movie that like we barely even touched on. It's just uh, I could talk for another hour easy and get through maybe half my thoughts on it.
0: <laughs> so that's why I'm going to redirect you to the future on our last question. <laughs> got thirty seconds here. I'm gonna ask it and throw it out. Um, the Joker's coming back next year. We're gonna see the Joker. I'm not really going to talk about Batman in the future because we have Bathlick. He may or may not, you know, make another movie. It sounds like he makes a, wants to make a solo movie. But we are getting the Joker. We've now seen it. Uh, we've seen a couple instances of it, albeit, you know, a camera test and some photos, and it's about it. Uh, it sounds like you probably aren't going to be down the clown with this one, David, and there has never been a more appropriate usage of me saying down the clown.
1: Uh, yeah, that it's, it's uh, you know, a lot remains to be seen from what we've seen looks really interesting. Um I just I don't know but the full direction they're taking. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where I'm willing to wait and see until there's more information.
0: What about you, Nicole?
2: Yeah, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is a great actor, but he's in like his what mid late forties now. It yeah. seems a little old for the character. So that I'm kind of curious what they're running to with. see. I'm I'm curious to see where they're going to go with it.
0: It seems to me they're going the route of, I mean, they, they are doing like the classic Joker thing from the comics, which is like the failed comic turned the Joker. Like I know that has been a through line in some of the comics.
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the possible iterations that comes up in the Killing Joke.
0: Okay, at least it's not him killing Batman's parents. Uh, oh God, Martin Martin. <laughs> that movie but, isn't good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I'm very compelled by it because I think one of the great things about the Joker and I think you have more opportunity to do this with the Joker than most characters is actors get to make it their own because it's so freaking crazy, right? Like you can be bond and, or, or, or Batman and your job is to be suave and cool and have a plan, but you can take the Joker in a million different directions. And that's been done. We have the, the theatrics of Jack Nicholson. We have the gritty, dark, terroristic realism of Heath Ledger we have Jared Leto. And now we're gonna get a good actor again to play this.
1: Hey.
0: So, I t- okay, I take that back. Jared Leto, good actor. Jared Leto Jared Leto Joker, dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> I'm really excited to have it. Happened.
2: I'm willing to concede it for now.
0: <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. Uh, I feel like David probably has more authority on that than me though. He's yeah, we don't have we love. don't have the time. Okay. Uh <laughs> So I'm very excited to see what happens with it because I love Joaquin Phoenix and maybe it'll be another interesting iteration, but Heath Ledger will always be my Joker. I grew up with this movie. I love this movie. I'm so glad you picked it, Nicole. I think we can all safely say it is a future classic. I I would argue it that it is a future classic film, period, beyond its genre.
1: Yeah. Nah, piece of crap. I won't watch it ever again just kidding i've seen this movie about it doesn't recommend yeah would not recommend uh i want my money back amazon uh it's one of the few movies I own on blu-ray i've seen it uh, probably a dozen times i will see it a dozen more times before i before i turn 40 so uh yeah i'm in
0: <laughs> all right right on i'll do it for myself david and nicole david where can people find you online
1: you can find me around the internet under the username Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z, and also on the Brokebot Mountain podcast.
0: Very good. And what about you, Nicole?
2: You can find me shepherding our Facebook page at facebook.com slash round podcast letterboxed under uh nicole underscore davis and you can follow me on twitter my handle there is at your word whiz and that's y-o-u-r-w-o-r-d-w-h-i-z
0: very good you can find me on twitter at i am brett stewart we will see you next week with around the world